Welcome to the Awaken Podcast. At Awaken Church, we are passionate about wrestling with and being unraveled by the Christian scriptures. Ideally, we do this together around the table in the neighborhood of Bonas. As we see it, Jesus has invited all of us to encounter Him in a diverse community and participate with Him in a mission of loving our neighbors. Hello, hello. Um, welcome, everybody. Uh, I'm so excited. Uh, as Amy um, and Darcy did such an excellent job in um, sort of setting the tone for us, that it is Eastertide uh, in the church calendar. And Eastertide uh, goes from, yeah, last Sunday until Pentecost Sunday, which is um, the end of May. And so I'm very excited. Uh, in the church calendar today is actually Great Commission Sunday, which makes sense, the resurrection last week commission today. Uh, and all of these themes are going to come together in a profound way. I'm going to um, try to maintain uh, the abundance and excitement and passion uh, that I sort of unleashed upon you all last Sunday. Which... And if you don't know, uh, most of you do know this, but um, the theme of Sabbath and Jubilee in the Bible is actually the topic of my master's thesis and my PhD uh, dissertation. This is literally my favorite subject in the whole world, and which has made it so it's excruciatingly difficult to not make these like hour and a half long lectures, seven weeks in a row, which is not happening. But um, I do hope to spark your imagination uh, for resurrection, to spark your imagination for the future that we all share. Uh, and I think if you grew up in the church, um, some of this will make sense here in a moment, and, and if not, bear with. But um, actually, even if you didn't, I think if you grew up in sort of Western society, this will make sense. Um, so Sabbath is a really, really, really big deal in the Bible. But interestingly, if you, if you know this, you know that the Sabbath is one of the Ten Commandments, but it's arguably the one that we don't care, like we care the least about. Like, do not murder, and like, don't work on the seventh day. Like, they just don't bear the same weight uh, on us. And so we're like, yeah, Sabbath is super important. We all know about it. Um, I, I know I did have a guy once say, he's like, I never knew Sabbath was anything other than Ozzy Osbourne's Black Sabbath. So this is really helpful. It was cool. Like, he'd never heard of the biblical idea of Sabbath but he knew Ozzy Osbourne, and that was a cool moment to watch the light bulb go off for him. But uh, it's a very big deal in the Bible, and I think there's a, a verse that people misinterpret in, in uh, Mark and Matthew's gospel where Jesus is like, ah, oh, Sabbath is made for men, not man for the Sabbath, and we kind of hang our attitude towards Sabbath on that verse alone of like, yeah, whatever, you know, you got homework to do, rise and grind, <laughs> you know. So, um, but I'm going to argue passionately against that, and I think um, together we will kind of also this generous space where we can dream together. Uh, so if I'm just going to geek out for a few minutes and tell you a few kind of Old Testament details, and then I'm gonna, uh, we're going to go into something Jesus did in Luke's gospel. So uh, the Sabbath is in the Ten Commandments. Uh, if you look at the, the Hebrew, it's in the dead center, or the living center, I should say, of the Ten Commandments. It's the central command. Um, the Sabbath day is, is called, uh, in the Bible, it's called the, the sign of the Mosaic Covenant. So when you make a covenant, you need to have like a seal or proof or some kind of sign. So this is a huge deal. Um, so Sabbath is to the Mosaic Covenant what circumcision is to the Abrahamic Covenant. Sabbath is to the uh, Mosaic Covenant what the rainbow is to no the Noah Covenant. Like Sabbath is the sign. Breaking the Sabbath uh, in the Torah, in the, in the Pentateuch, um, is punishable by death. So it's a capital crime to break the Sabbath. All of the prophets uh, mention it. Basically, there's some prophets who are like, I reject your Sabbaths, uh, and others who, who kind of describe it really uh, in an imaginative way. Uh, Sabbath is a really big deal, deal in Ezra and Nehemiah. 
And if you remember, Jesus actually stirs up a lot of controversy for himself precisely because of what he does on the Sabbath. So, and, and, and he does it in such a way that it makes you think that he waited all week. It's Sabbath time. <laughs> time to heal some people, set them free. Uh, and he gets in trouble for it. And it's as if he's making a statement about the Sabbath. Um, and the statement isn't, it's just another day. Who cares? The statement is that the Sabbath is the day for this. Um, Jesus actually framed his entire ministry, especially in Luke's gospel, around the theme of Sabbath. He begins the ministry by entering the synagogue on the Sabbath day to declare a Sabbath jubilee. Um, he, uh, the, the day of Pentecost, as, we'll be, as we will see later at the end of the series, um, is a jubilee event. Um, and the whole book of Acts, like there's so, there's so much. So I just want to establish that it's a really big deal throughout the Bible. Um, and I'm going to show you, um, you can go to the next slide. Uh, so there's two sort of major events in the Bible. Oh, I should say the Old Testament because I'm not going to say Jesus right now, so I should be careful. Um, the two main events in the Old Testament, um, you could argue, is the creation story, like God created everything and rested on the seventh day, um, and the Exodus event, uh, the, the kind of liberation from Egypt. Those are kind of the two core memories uh, that the prophets refer back to all the time. And one thing that you might find interesting is that uh, the Ten Commandments are listed twice in the Bible. Once in Exodus 20, so right after they've come out of Egypt and they're at Mount Sinai. And once uh, in Deuteronomy 5. And the list of Ten Commandments is the exact same in both, uh, except with regards to the Sabbath commandment. It's different. So I'm just going to show you this. Um, this is what the command says in Exodus. Um, and I feel like where we lose the plot sometimes as uh, like Bible readers when it comes to Sabbath is that in Sunday school is the only time you really encounter the Ten Commandments. And in Sunday school, you have to memorize the 10. And so we don't give you the full, like, no kid memorize that. You just get, like, don't, don't swear, don't worship idols, don't do, any or, you know, don't do any work on the Sabbath, don't kill, don't, you know. Like, they just kind of get a simplified list, and so we miss out on the whole commit because it's pretty profound. So it says in Exodus 20, uh, and I've bolded some important words here. It says, remember the Sabbath day and treat it as holy. Six days you may work and do all your tasks, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Do not do any work on it, not you, your sons or daughters, your male or female servants, your animals, or the immigrant who is living with you. Because the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything that is in them in six days, but rested on the seventh day. Um, and when you think of rested, it's not like, I'm tired, I'm going to take a day off. Let's make some nachos, watch some football. Not that kind of rested. The, the Hebrew understanding of this passage is like, he came to rest. Like he moved into the neighborhood. Like when you finish a renovation, can you remember the stress in your body of your house being in disrepair, like a renovation? And then when it's done, the first time you enter that room, your whole nervous system is at rest because the project is finished. God came to rest on the seventh day. Um, and it says, uh, that is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. But then if you go to Deuteronomy, it's the next slide. Um, it's the exact same at the beginning, so I won't repeat it. But when you get to the bold, it switches. He doesn't mention creation or the seventh day of rest. In bold, it says, um, don't do any work on it. Not you, your sons or daughters, your male or female servants, your oxen or donkeys, or any of your animals, or the immigrant who is living among you, so that your male and female servants can rest just like you. Remember that you were a slave in Egypt, but the Lord your God brought you out of there with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. That is why the Lord God commands you to keep the Sabbath day. 
So one of the commands is based on the seventh day of creation, and the other one is based on liberation from the house of oppression and slavery and servitude. Um, and so you kind of get the impression that uh, the Sabbath day is about more than just taking a day off uh, from you know, a hard week's work. It's kind of rooted. In, and you have this sense here that like, hey, if you feel at ease in the land, is that because other people are working 24-7 so that you can? Because true Sabbath is we spend six days figuring out how to make it so that all of us can be at ease on that seventh day, not just uh, those of us who, who can kind of afford that. And so Sabbath isn't just a, a day for the individual to, to sort of take time off from work. It must be bigger than this. And we know this. I'm going to show you. And this is sounding like a lecture right now, but I'm going to switch in a moment. Don't worry. Um, there's, there's not only one day a week that you remember the Sabbath. Um, every seventh year is called the Sabbath year. And every seventh Sabbath year is called the year of Jubilee. So the Sabbath day is meant to remind us always of the Jubilee that's coming. Like they're all connected. And we know the Sabbath year isn't a year for you to not work. The Sabbath year is huge. So now if you're thinking of the Sabbath day, think about this. Um, it says when you buy a male Hebrew slave. Well, we could say a lot about that, but. Um, moving on. Uh, he will serve you for six years, but in the seventh year, he will go free without any payment. So this is what's really wild. The English, that's what your English Bible says, something like he will go free without any payment. Um, so the idea meaning he doesn't owe you anything. So this, this, this system of slavery um, in this context was like debt servitude. Like I owe you a debt I can't pay. So how many years do I have to work for you until the debt's paid? So I'll free you and your debt's paid. So I'll free you into like debtlessness. Um, and it's hard to say that in the English. In the Hebrew, though, it's really repetitive. Of, um, I'll show you. It kind of, I kind of have it there, but it would say, um, but in the seventh year, he will be released with liberty. Uh, he, yeah, he will be released with liberty. Like it's the same word, release, liberty. He will be released freely into freedom. Um, and it's just kind of like he will be really experiencing rest and release and liberation. And um, the word is also the word used for forgiveness. I will forgive you your debt so that you are free completely. Um, so that's the Sabbath year. Um, it says, if he came in single, he will leave single. If he came in married, then his wife will be released with him. And that's in Exodus 21. In Exodus 23, um, another description of the Sabbath year. For six years, you should plant crops on your land and gather in its produce. But in the seventh year, you should release or forgive the land. So in your English, it says something like, you will let the land lie fallow or don't plant. But the, the Hebrew is release or forgive. It's the same word. So you'll release your, your, your debtors from their debts, your servants from their servitude, and then you will release the land or forgive the land. Release and forgive are the same word there. Forgive the land so that the poor among your people may eat. What they forgive, release. So what the land forgives or releases up to you, the wild animals may eat. You should do the same with your vineyard and your olive tree. So all of the natural resources in your nation, <laughs> every seventh year, we forgive the land of its labor and say we release you so that anybody in the land who's not benefited from these resources um, could partake. It's wild. You should do the same with your vineyard and your olive trees. Do your work in six days, but on the seventh day you should rest so that your ox and donkey may rest and that even the child of your female slave and the immigrant may rest. So a reminder of the seventh day. And then lastly, when you get to the year of Jubilee, it's this whole idea of Sabbath day and Sabbath year, but even bigger. It radically resets all of society. The text says uh, in Leviticus, 
count off seven Sabbath years. Then have the trumpet blown throughout your land on the day of atonement. That's the day of reconciliation or the day of forgiveness. You will make the 50th year holy, proclaiming a freedom slash liberation slash release. It's the same word throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It will be a jubilee year for you. Then uh, next it says the land must not be permanently sold because the land is mine. You are just immigrants and foreign guests of mine. When one of your neighbors faces financial difficulty and must sell part of their family property, the closest relative will come and buy back what their fellow Israelite has sold. If they cannot afford to make a refund to the buyer, whatever was sold will remain in the possession of the buyer until the Jubilee year. It will be released in the Jubilee year, at which point it will return to the family property. So the whole theme here of Sabbath rest is in order to enter into that rest and achieve that rest, there needs to be a release, a liberation. And the same word in both Greek and Hebrew is also translated as a forgiveness. And so um, I want to just tell you this Day of Atonement thing for a moment. Um, what's really cool, if you don't know um, your Hebrew Bible, uh, the Day of Atonement is like a very important uh, uh, ceremony day in the life of Israel. Um, it's actually the, the center of the book of Leviticus, and the book of Leviticus is the center of the Pentateuch. So it is the central event, and it's the Day of Atonement where um, forgiveness is declared to the entire community. That's where the, the idea of the scapegoat, um, on the Day of Atonement, there's two goats. One is sort of sacrificed in the Holy of Holies, or sacrificed, and then its blood is sprinkled in the Holy of Holies. The other one is uh, we, people put their hands on the goat to transfer all their guilt and sin and, and whatnot onto the goat, and then the ghost is sent out, and that's the released scapegoat. Um, and that is a day which, so you begin it by blowing this trumpet. It's the Day of Atonement. So if you have any um, Jewish friends, it, it's Yom Kippur, um, and it's a huge deal. It says in Leviticus 16, it says, on the 10th day of the seventh month, you must deny yourselves. You must not do any work. Neither the citizen nor the immigrant on that day, reconciliation or atonement will be made for you. In order to cleanse you, you will be clean before the Lord from all your sins. And this will be a Sabbath of special rest for you. And this will be a permanent rule. So this is profound because that day of atonement is the day where um, it's a jubilee day from God to us. You are forgiven. I release you. Your debt is paid. You are free. And um, it's meant to be a Sabbath day. So these ideas are connected. So the idea of is it forgiveness or release? Uh, yes. And this becomes very exciting. So um, Sabbath is not just a religious thing that religious people do. Like technically it's written into the Canadian law that you can't work seven days a week. Like your, your employer legally has. So we can't be like, only Christians do Sabbath. Like, no, everybody in Canada legally, unless they're being violently oppressed. And I, I know those are folks, but they get a day off. So then we say, okay, well, Sabbath then for the Christian isn't just a day off from activity. It's also a day off from like the secular. So we go to church. So we enter into the, the, the Holy of Holies, you know, the, 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 the temple on the seventh day. But we know that it can't just be a religious thing, a day for us to go to church and worship. The Sabbath day, when you consider the Sabbath year and the year of Jubilee, is clearly also very political because it radically reconfigures the neighborhood. Um, forgiving each other of debts, expectations, labels, categories, boxes we've tried to fit each other in uh, would radically reconfigure the neighborhood. Uh, the neighborhood. In fact, the Lord's Prayer arguably is a Jubilee prayer. Uh, Jesus uh, teaches us to pray, uh, forgive us our sins. Wait, or is it forgive us our debts? Or wait, is it forgive us our trespasses? Yes. It's all three. I've put you in a debt. You owe me respect. 
oh, I'm probably not treating you very kindly because I'm demanding that you pay up. <laughs> so maybe, uh, God, as I release people from that debt, uh, I know that you release me from mine. So it's, it's social and, and religious. Um, Sabbath protects us against inherited wealth. It protects us against inherited poverty. Sabbath protects us against entrenched systems of honor and shame, systems of clean and unclean, systems of insider-outsider, systems of who's on top, who's on the bottom, and system of who's first and who's last. It flips it all. On the Sabbath day, the king and the slave girl eat together at the same table. In the year of Jubilee, she's not a slave girl anymore, and he's probably not a king. So you have to give up a lot to release everyone from their debt. It reconfigures everybody. Everybody, all of creation is made new. Uh, the day of creation is the day that God brings order to chaos or the seventh day of creation, that Sabbath rest, bringing order to chaos, which is like an embodied, global, incarnate gospel being at rest. And the Exodus, the day of Exodus, um, is, is a day of uh, God bringing liberation to the enslaved or impressed, uh, oppressed, which is very political, disruptive, liberative. These ideas are inseparable as Christians. Jesus introduces his entire ministry saying, this is why I'm here. It's both the seventh day of creation and the Exodus, like they're connected ideas. Um, and we know this. And so I just, ha I had to show you this. In Luke chapter four, Jesus will walk into the synagogue and he's like, guess what? I'm here for this reason. And he opens Isaiah and he reads from Isaiah. And so I just had to show you the two texts from Isaiah that Jesus reads. They're the two um, Sabbath and Jubilee texts of three in the book of Isaiah. Um, in Isaiah 58, it's the true fast uh, text in Isaiah, like, I don't want you to just fast and look sad. I want you to fast because you've given your food to the hungry. That's the fast I desire. And so you have this, uh, this kind of prophetic dream of true religion where in Isaiah 58, uh, he says, isn't this the fast I choose? Releasing wicked restraints. Loosen, that's what your English says, but it's the same word. Release the ropes of a yoke. And then your English says, setting free the mistreated. But it's the same word, releasing the mistreated and breaking every yoke. If you stop trampling the Sabbath and doing whatever you want on my holy day and consider the Sabbath a delight, then you will take delight in the Lord and you will ride on the heights of the land. The fast I choose is that day of loosening, releasing, forgiveness. And in Isaiah 61 is the big, um, it's called the royal edict of release, where the new king begins his reign by declaring jubilee. In Isaiah 61, it says, The Lord God's spirit is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted and proclaim release for captives and liberation for prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And so if you go to the next slide, Jesus at the very beginning of his ministry. Um, so he's been baptized. He spent 40 days in the wilderness, and now he's going to introduce himself as the anointed, and he quotes both Isaiah 61 and 58. He says, uh, it, he found the place where it was written in the Isaiah scroll, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. So every big theme in our faith is in this text. Anointed is uh, Messiah or Christed. So he's like, I am the Christ. So that's there. He, the Lord has anointed me. I am the, 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 the anointed one, the Messiah. He has sent me, awaken, that's our word, it's etched on the table, which you can't see because of the tablecloths, but if you're new to awaken, sent is our word, uh, sent is where we get the word apostle, apostles are the sent ones, so he's like, I've been sent to preach good news, that's where we get the word gospel, to the poor, to proclaim release or forgiveness 
or liberation to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to liberate the oppressed, the word is release, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the synagogue assistant, and sat down. Every eye in the synagogue was fixed on him. He began to explain to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled just as you heard it. And uh, this is profound because he just starts off his whole thing. He's like, this is why I'm here. I've I've been anointed. I am the Christ, and I'm going to bring gospel, and I'm going to bring it to the poor. And anybody that's been bound by an unjust contract or, or expectation or debt is going to experience release, which is jubilee, a jubilee release. And he says, this has been fulfilled and sits down. Now, I'm going to tell you this really wild idea. So uh, in English, we have very different words for different things, um, which can then just be the exact same word in Greek. Um, this word for release is so, um, in our imagination, we, we can imagine releasing you from debt. But think about a contract, like a contract you have with the bank. It's the same word as being like the contract is broken. Like imagine it's like, sorry, you have a contract with the bank. You're paying a mortgage for 25 years. Like, well, how can I get out of that contract? <laughs> you pay the mortgage. But Jubilee would be like, I'm actually going to get you out of that contract. Um, it's the same word in, in Greek as divorce. I will grant you a divorce. Like, like a divorce is just a word. So in our English, we just think marriage, but it's the same word for it breaking any contract. A divorce is just like the contract that bound you in the bank. Um, you can get a divorce from the bank. Um, the idea is release, freedom, divorce. Like the, this, these are big words. Um, and you can imagine how some things would be different if, anyway. Okay, so check this out. I'm, I'm going to tell you one thing that is in Luke that is only in Luke. And, and, and that's where our gospel and our, our jubilee proclamation um, will take us. Um, in Luke's gospel, he uses this word forgiveness, release, uh, uh, liberation uh, more than any other gospel writer. And he starts his whole book on the theme of Sabbath and jubilee, and he ends it. The book of Acts ends there. And the, Ju- the Pentecost day, the beginning of Acts, he does it again. And it's like, I release you from this contract, financial, social, I release you. I've come to proclaim release. I've come to forgive you of your sin. I've come to release you from your debt. I've come to free you from the box or the label or the category that you're currently trapped in. Your record is clear. I have come to grant you a radical new beginning. But often when Jesus does this, he gets in a lot of trouble. So there's a Sabbath controversy in Luke's gospel that you can't find anywhere else, and I love it so much. In Luke 13, Again, I lament how tiny that font is. It's pretty, though, like the picture, right? I nailed it. Like. So in Luke 13, it says, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And this story is in the center of Luke's gospel. He was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. A woman was there who had been bent double. It's a weird word in Greek. We don't know what it means. This is bent double, bent over, bent double, by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and couldn't stand up straight. When he saw her, Jesus called her to him. Notice, he initiates this. She doesn't ask for it. Jesus called her to him and said, Woman, you are set free from your sickness. He placed his hands on her and she straightened up at once and praised God. The synagogue leader, incensed that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, responded, There are six uh, six days during which work is permitted. Come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath day. The Lord replied, hypocrites, 
Don't each of you on the Sabbath untie, it's the same word, release, your ox or donkey from its stall and lead it out to get a drink? Then isn't it necessary that this woman, a daughter of Abraham, bound by Satan for 18 long years, be set free from her bondage on the Sabbath day? Like, this is the day it's supposed to happen. And this story is really weird. And if you've ever opened a Luke commentary, you'll see scholars debate all the time. Because it's not clear if it's a healing miracle or an exorcism. Because you have, like, she has, it sounds like an ailment. Like, she's sort of bent over. Um, but then it's never called a sickness or, or whatnot. It's just this condition she has. And then Jesus frames it as she's been bound by Satan. And he's freeing her from, like, satanic bondage, which makes it sound like an exorcism. So you'll see people debate, like, no, she's been freed of a demon. And some's like, no, she's been freed of a sickness. Um, <laughs> why not both? <laughs> The profound, uh, the profound thing, what I love about this so much is whatever it is, we don't know. Like for 2,000 years, we've been trying to figure it out. We don't know. There's no sickness. Like it's not named like bent over. It's like someone's like, oh, she has a spinal, a spinal condition. But we just don't know. But we know that um, whatever it is that she's struggling with has caused her to shrink. It has caused her to bend low. She cannot stand up. She cannot stretch out. She cannot expand herself and lift her arms. She can't praise. It has caused her to shrink. And it might be a physical chronic pain, but we know that sometimes pain is a symptom of uh, trauma, unresolved trauma. It could be so many different things. We just know that there's this woman, and she's all, she does not come to Jesus. She does not even approach him and say, can you heal me? She's just there, and she's shrunk, and she's bent, and she's in pain. Um, or or she, she's limited in this way. And, and Jesus initiates um, and, and, and he, he says to her, uh, I set, you know, you're set free. I only know what the Greek is, so I'm trying to keep my spoiler. You are set free. And then he puts his hand on her and she straightens up. And I just want you to meditate on that in your life right now. Um, that feeling, I'm not sure, like I, I can picture, I really, I think I have a great imagination and like reading this text, I can just picture this woman. It's like the genie when he gets out of the bottle in the lad and he's like, 10,000 years, you know, it's like, oh, like that's the stretch of all stretches. You've been trapped in this tiny little container for 10,000 years and you're let out and you expand. And so I just feel it in my body, the way that she must have like, crack, 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 like, and it's like she opens, she expands. It's like, I don't know what it was that was causing her to shrivel, to shrink to become quiet, to become invisible, to not speak, whatever, whatever it was. He says, your, your freedom is here. And she expands. She takes up space. And it says she rejoices. She rejoices. And, and it's like, for the first time, she is at ease. And she is so big. She's taken up so much space. She expands. And, and, and Jesus is like, isn't the Sabbath the day for that? Forget the nachos in the football game. You can shrink on the couch because you're just too anxious and stressed out from all of the conflict that's unresolved in your life. That's a shrinking, right? He's like, the Sabbath day is a day to find those who are curled in and help them to expand and see that there are many houses in my father's house. There's room for you. Expand. Stand up straight. The Sabbath is the day for that. And what I love about this text, you can go to the next slide. 
the the way the Greek in in Jesus's um, what he says to her uh, when you when we understand the Jubilee Sabbath connection in Luke's writings, it is more likely that what Jesus says when he approaches her is he says, "God's release has come for you." And and the fact that he initiates it, she doesn't ask. He just I just picture it. He's living in Sabbath. He's his expansive self. He knows who he is. He knows where his worth comes from. And he walks into this synagogue space and he sees this woman who is bent low, bound by Satan for 18 years. And he says, God's release has come for you. The day you've been waiting for is this day. Rise, expand, speak. This is jubilee. This is freedom. When Jesus said on, on, in Luke 4, on the day at the beginning of his ministry, he said, I have come to proclaim release. He says it three times. I've come to release you. And he approaches this woman and says, God's release is here for you. So I just want to, to ask you, um, in your life, what is it that weighs you down? Just think about that for a moment. What is it that's weighing you down? It could be physical pain. Um, it could be powers and principalities. Um, it could also be stress, <laughs> unresolved conflict, guilt. So I want you to meditate for a second on what weighs you down. Where is the dread that you feel in your body? Where is the guilt, the anger that you've not brought to speech? Where in your life have you shrunk? What parts of you are trying to fit in a box? in a certain narrative? Where do you feel ashamed for how your life has gone off script? What debts are on your account? I mean, think about that literally. Like if you have financial debt, that weighs on you. But also figuratively, what are your shoulds? I should have, I should have done this. I should have been a better dad. I should have called my aunt when she was I should have I should have what are the what are the debts that you have on yourself your shoulds what is the guilt that haunts you what debts have you placed on others what boxes have you tried to fit your friends in what box have you tried to squeeze your partner into your family system into your work friends what box have you tried to fit your church into? What expectations and uh, debts have you placed on your friends here? And, and then finally, I, it's hard to get here in our spiritual journey, but what box have you tried to fit God into? What debts have you placed God in? And what would freedom look like? What would release look like? To be released from the list of shoulds, to be released from your regrets, from your guilt, from your expectations. And what would it look like to just extend that release to each other? I, I release you. I know you didn't call me back. I thought you would. And I've been mad. And I release you. I release you. What would it look like to allow your friends to expand in freedom? for you to allow yourself to expand? What would it look like to finally let go? And what if today, the second Sunday of Easter, what if today could be that day of letting go? 
of liberation, I bet you would experience a rest that you hadn't experienced in a really long time. And finally, what if this is literally the work of Awakened Church? What if this is the goal of discipleship? The goal. To hear the voice of God say, my release has come for you. Rise. You are forgiven. To understand what that means, I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. I forgive you. I release you. I'm released. I forgive your debt. What if this is our work? And the theme of the whole text. What if this is the Great Commission? Um, lastly, before we pray and take communion together, I want to show you Luke's Great Commission text. Most people think of Matthew for the Great Commission, but also most people wouldn't know where the text was, so it's okay. Um, Luke's Great Commission, I love so much, because of course Luke is going to frame the commission as um, Jubilee release. It says in Luke 24, um, this is the resurrected Christ talking to his church. He says, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law from Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He said to them, this is what is written, the Christ, that's the one who was anointed, he told them that in Luke 4, will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And a change of heart and forgiveness must be preached in his name to all nations and the word there. Beginning from Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. Look, I'm sending you. As the Father sent me, he started his whole ministry in Luke 4. I've been sent to proclaim release to the poor. And he says, now you will proclaim release to all nations. Beginning from Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. Look, I am sending you. Um, I'm sending to you what my Father promised. But you are to stay in the city until you have been furnished with heavenly power. The, the, the day of Pentecost is what he's referring to. That's coming, um, this idea of sending. And so entering into this rest and experiencing this forgiveness and extending this forgiveness is what the land is groaning for. It's what your neighbors are groaning for. So pray with me, um, and then we're going to uh, come to the table together. But before we go into those details, please uh, bow and pray with me. Uh, creator God, creator of all the cosmos who rested on the seventh day. Uh, saving God, liberating God, who called us from uh, the land of, of estrangement and great difficulties into a, a place of shalom. We hear you whisper, come to me all who are tired and heavy laden with worries and apathy. Help us to come to you. Um, help us to experience release. Help us to let ourselves go, to finally let ourselves go free, to go nuts, to go off. Help us to release our grip on what everyone else expects of us. Help us to release our grip on what we want from each other, what we want from you. Grant us freedom, I pray, from our guilt, our shame, our embarrassment, our fears that block love. Grant us liberation, we pray, from the never-ending list of things to get done, from the race to the top, from the pressure to have answers to the questions and to have a plan all the time. Grant us rest, and I pray that you would grant us a part in the story. Call us again. 
pull us from Pharaoh's house and place us there in the garden, in the temple, in the home of the Lord, and make us into a people who grant freedom, who liberate, who forgive, who release. Show us the banqueting table, I pray. Show us and shock us with its grandeur, its abundance. Shock us by the way there's a place for all of us. Stretch us wide to see our labor as a labor of love. Six days of dreaming and scheming, conspiring and inspiring until all of us are together on the seventh day, on the last day. Until the last day becomes the first day of the future that belongs to you, that belongs to us, that belongs even now to the weary and the weakened. Grant that we would hear the jubilee trumpet blow now in our midst and help us to trust that that sound is coming from the future that's on its way. Make us your jubilee people. We pray in the name of our Savior, source of our forgiveness, Jesus. Amen.